words that the Lord has given us prophetically as a body, as an expression of the body of Christ for this year is the word engage. Say engage. It means to connect, to communicate, to be connected. And we want to do something this morning as a little action for each of us to be more engaged in what the Lord wants to do in and through us individually and through his church this year, in this season. Say this season. Engaged this season. In Philippians, and I've, I've been in Philippians this week, and honestly, I have a confession to make. First of all, I think I should let you know, Pastor Mahesh is fine. We haven't seen him for a couple of weeks, but um, he has had in the past uh, a, an area on one of his legs where the skin from time to time would sort of be open to getting infected or kind of breaking down. And when or if that starts to happen, he has to keep that leg up. So actually he is lounging away. Thank you for your prayers for him. He's catching up on all the old John Wayne movies. He and Hank Rooney have been in serious, deep theological conversations together on the phone over all of these kind of things. So thank you for your prayers. Hopefully we're uh, under the doctor's instructions for another probably three or four days. And then um, he will appear once again in his glory. Talking about pastor. but So thank you for your prayers. And, and that's, that's, the, that's the update on him. And for me, I, I have been waiting on the Lord to hear literally this morning what he wants to say to us as a fellowship of people in this immediate season. And... I know in my spirit what the general word is, and it is this word of engaging. And I think there are a couple of keys to that. And one is the recognition that the third, the third person of the Godhead, something has occurred that never could have happened with the human race. In that event where Jesus, the Son of God, the Son of Man, gave over his body in death, the Holy Spirit was present, the Bible says. That literally, even as Jesus breathed his last, that there was a presence of the Holy Spirit there as the faithful watchman, companion, the one who, who, would, who would carry on, who who would come to not just revitalize, but literally reconstitute the body of the Lord physically and personally in the resurrection. But it's a first fruits. Say first fruits. The resurrection of Jesus' physical body was a first fruits of the, of the much wider cosmic thing that was about to occur. 
And what was about to occur is that the power of sin and death was going to be broken off of the human race. And God was going to reconstitute a new body, a global body, an eternal earthly heavenly body of many living members. Say many members. And one of the keys for us, just to be certain of our faithfulness to our calling. What is our calling? One of the great church confessions talks about the whole purpose of man. And it simply says to love God and enjoy him forever. To be personally and individually engaged in a living relationship through faith with the person of God. That is a stunning revelation. Absolutely stunning. The person of God who reconstituted the body of Jesus is the one when Jesus ascended and presented his blood in order for this new creation to begin. The person that has been released in continual outpouring is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. And what we see on the day of Pentecost is the first manifestation after the actual resurrection of the personal body of Jesus. The first manifestation. Say the first manifestation. First manifestation of God doing that new body work. And it happened, as we know, in Jerusalem where there were just 120 Human individuals gathered there waiting in faith because they had been told by the Lord, a few of his disciples, and then they told others, we're just supposed to wait until he comes. Say we're supposed to wait. What are we supposed to be doing while we're waiting? Because, friends, the reality is, you and I share the same next destination. Do you know what that is? It is his appearing. His appearing. And scripture says Jesus himself still today doesn't know the day or hour. The father is holding that in his heart. And in the same way of the ancient Hebrew traditions of a marriage, the bride and groom would be engaged. This is where the story of Mary and Joseph comes in. They were engaged, and that meant they were as good as married, but they had not moved into the same dwelling place together nor consummated physically that covenant. 
But they cut that covenant, made that exchange, and had a contract of agreement. And so everyone in the rest of the community knew that that woman and that man were for one another and for no other. And then the groom was to literally go and build within his father's house the house that he and his bride would occupy. This is where Jesus in John 14 says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. On the day of Pentecost, God poured out his ketubah, his marriage contract, and gave us, in giving of the Holy Spirit, our engagement contract. The down payment, the Bible says. And in one place in Revelation, for instance, it speaks of the saints of God, and it says they were sealed in their foreheads. Another picture of that is what happened on the day of Pentecost when individual flames of fire representing the living Shekinah, that presence that had been in the tent and then in the tabernacle and then in the temple. And after a certain period of time, as the people began to fall asleep and turn away to idols, the present, the presence was no longer seen or heard except uniquely in individuals, judges, or prophets, all the way to including John the Baptist, who came fulfilling Isaiah's prophecies of a voice crying in the wilderness, saying, prepare the way of the Lord. This is still our commission, to be those present in a generation who know the only truth that is to be known. That God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And whoever believes in him will have eternal life. And by the way, Rich, the third thing, sin, righteousness, and judgment. And judgment. And we look at the world today, in our generation, many of us may say for various reasons we've suffered uh, in different ways from the upheaval and the unrest and the cacophony of childish wrangling in political realms and, uh, and now even all of our institutions have been shown to be in one way or another untrustworthy. So where is our trust? And how do we as Christians have confidence and fulfill our calling in this hour? It's by recognizing that God has given us his spirit. And so we're doing two things until he comes. We're keeping these vessels as his dwelling place. And the second 
is attending to his body as his dwelling place. One of the snares of the pandemic. There's a rising chorus of persons who've given their lives to the study of various areas of medicine and societal trends and observations. And there is a rising chorus of agreement that something we've never seen on a global scale happened as a result of the pandemic. And it is that whole masses of people became essentially hypnotized. And there are classically, in order to hypnotize an individual, there are classically a couple of conditions that need to be present in order to capture that person's soul in such a way that they can be convinced and directed towards anything that is suggested. And the first one is free-floating anxiety. In other words, general anxiety that is, doesn't have an identifiable source, where persons are just living in a constant state internally of insecurity, of uncertainty, of a lack of assurance, and a sense of safety. So free-floating anxiety. I certainly know that that condition exists in the church of Jesus, much less in the wider populations of persons who have never found their beginning, their foundation in him. And so this was a general condition in the world. Secondly, with that, in order to hypnotize whole societies and make them sheep, able to lead them anywhere you wanted to go, even if it would became irrational, is individual isolation from other human individuals. An absence of intimate relationship such that your life is actually connected to another human being in such a way that you are willing to go outside of yourself to engage in them and their presence, their influence, their way, their will, their word in your life has an influence on you and there's a reciprocal exchange that gives some sense of human connection that is meaningful. And there was a survey done not long ago, in something like 131 nations. And they found that between 60 and 90% of people living in our generation have that sense of separation or isolation where they could not name one particular other vital human relationship that had true meaning in their life. 
And then we look at the use of technology and the influence of social media and the whole dynamic of celebrity from uh, the music world, the entertainment world, the sports world. It is a bizarre thing that has captured most of the world. In false communities. So you have these two conditions, free-floating anxiety, where it's, there's not really a pinpointable reason for the person's uncertainty or general fear about life. And no real personal, intimate human connection, community. And then you take those masses of people and you cause them to pinpoint all of their focus at the same time on one thing, and you have captured them and will be able to lead them anywhere. Friends, two years ago, our government and governments around the world, our government said 15 days to flatten the curve. Still today, if you want to go to any service organization, business, take care of any of your grocery store, much less the dentist, still today, or out to dinner, still today, what is the first thing everything is going to be speaking to you about? COVID. And I believe with all my heart, church, we need to shake free Shake ourselves free because ultimately the dynamic that has overtaken us is abjectly in antithesis to every declaration of scripture in terms of the church, the church in the world, and the church engaging for the sake of the gospel. And we could say a lot more about that. But it is still the thing. And then here's what happens. This is the phenomenon. Now, you tell me if this has not occurred. We've not seen it every day. Then what happens is you take the mass of people now, free-floating anxiety, no real personal human connections that are meaningful, and get them all to focus on one existential threat. And suddenly, there is illegitimately built a different and new community of all of these people who don't have any connection with one another, but now they're facing a mutual enemy. And a strange phenomenon takes over, where in this sense of community, there arises this false identity that we are valiantly together fighting an enemy. Right? So we're all going to stay away from one another. And that in and of itself has proven now to not have worked. That was a scientific idea. But it's interesting because the Bible, sorry, the revelation of Scripture 
and the history of the church is staying humanly engaged. And more particularly during times of great disease, it was the church who started all of the charitable ideas that we have now. Because that was the one people who weren't afraid of their own human destiny. Why? Because they knew they had forgiveness of sin and eternal life. They had the Spirit of God. They had that engagement covenant where they knew where they were going. And because of that, it gave them light to function in their generation without fear and in fullness of the fulfilling of their calling, which was to be a people of light and truth in the midst of darkness and idolatry in the world. And uniquely, it is the church. Say the church. Uniquely, it is the church. Scripture says, the ground, the foundation, and pillar of truth. And I believe in this time of fasting, we need to shake some other things off. I remember last week from a couple of weeks before and Rich's exhortation in the watch about being relentless and about regathering the spirit of Elijah, that prophetic clarity, which was ultimately manifest in John the Baptist. But in rereading some of the Elijah, Elisha stories and especially where Elijah went up and Elisha picked up, say picked up, Elisha picked up the emblem of his calling. He hadn't been a prophet, he hadn't been a leader, he was probably the guy that cooked Elijah's food and, you know, cleaned up after other stuff was a servant and then a moment came when all of those years of investment do you remember when Elisha was first called he thought he was immediately going up in to this esteemed place of prophetic power and influence in Israel do you remember that and when Elijah saw that response in him, he basically said, I don't know what you're talking about. Never mind. And he went on. And Elisha got a revelation at that moment. A revelation that ultimately for Christians is found in the words of Jesus. When he says, unless a man or a woman hate his father and mother, his wife and children, he can't be my disciple. That's some serious prioritizing. But here's the secret. It's the only prioritizing that can set us individually in an unshakable place of clarity in every season.
But that relationship also joins us to others in a real and personal way. And I think one of the greatest clear disparities between how COVID has been managed by our institutions and how we've been either coerced or forced or persuaded to respond towards it, the greatest disparity between that knowledge and the revelation of God for his church has been to separate human individuals from one another and keep them out of contact. There was something very insidious in that. I know that we believe that God has a heart for the lost. I have to tell you, I believe from Jesus' own words. He cares more. If he were to put people in order, he cares more for the one he's engaged to than the one that he has no existing covenant with yet. He told Peter, when Peter recognized who Jesus really is, in that moment it changed Peter's recognition of himself. And Jesus told Peter, this exchange that has just happened is a gift, like Rich said is a gift from the Father who has literally revealed the only important truth to you, and that is, who is the Son of God? And Jesus said, this is the event that is the foundation on which Jesus said, I will build my church. And do you know that that was a proclamation of the fulfillment of literal thousands of years of God revealing that he would have a place where he would choose for his name to dwell. And there in that place, his personal presence would be abided in, abiding in order to commune and communicate directly face to face with human beings. And that mission, that vision went through the time of the gathering of Israel, the instructions from heaven. And if you haven't read them recently, the minute instructions for, first of all, taking up an offering with everybody who would give freely from their heart, there was a long laundry list of all of the things that were going to be needed in order to build, to put the tabernacle together, which was the first type of the body of Christ that is now animated and made real since the day of Pentecost. But how did it happen? through the willing service of every individual heart as they brought what they had to give to this raising up of this dwelling place. 
And it's stunning what they brought. Where did they get what they brought? Because just days prior, they were slaves. 400 years, slaves. Where did they get all that stuff? They brought so much, Moses said, enough already. Keep the rest for yourself. We have what we need to build this house. This place where God had said, I will put my name there. And moreover, I will plant them. And they won't be uprooted anymore. Scripture says they plundered the Egyptians. The night they left. I hope we get to see the real reruns in heaven. I mean, Cecil B. DeMille did pretty good. But I would actually like to have seen. But remember this. It was those same people that had experienced that original miracle of the blood of the Lamb, who out of fear, only days later, consigned themselves to the death of an entire generation through unbelief. And as we are in this time of fasting, I believe this is something else we need to shake off. And it came to me in that image where Elisha, it says that when he saw Elijah go up, he took his own mantle, his own cloak, and tore it in pieces. It's a picture, a symbol of what Jesus said, leave everything, leave everything, leave everything, and follow me. In this time of fasting, I think we need to shake off every influence of connection to the base things of this world, to shake off Every aspect of the adversary that would torment us in any way and make us afraid of anything day to day in, in such a way that it would prevent us or hem us in from being full of faith, full of courage, and engaging with human beings in our time. I personally have some kind of, rever of a, an internal response. I just want to, I want to, in the grocery store, I just want to cry out, the Spirit of the Lord is on me. I'm free, and I have good news for you. I'm so disturbed by the ongoing thing of 
seeing all, only getting to see half of people's faces. Generally, eyes full of fear or questioning or trying to avoid one another. This is a sickness that is worse than COVID. It is anti-human. It's bizarre. And the irreparable damage that has already been done to our children. So I believe the church needs to shake off every false restriction that is not true to the certainty of the promise of Scripture, the presence of the Holy Spirit, and our calling individually and corporately in this hour. And so certainly we are going to do that together. And I know we've looked there always. We have our other members that are watching online. I have a word for those of you, and there are a number. Because, yes, we are engaged with you and we pray. But there are a number of you that regularly are watching the service online when really you have no reason not to be gathering together in person. Except that it may be inconvenient and maybe you got comfortable with not having to get up and get dressed and plan the time to make the drive to do whatever. But I want to say today, we are going to shake that off because it is time to engage. Time to engage. And when we gather together, it is clear, not only in the revelation of Scripture, but in our own experience, that Jesus himself is standing in our midst and manifesting his presence in order to communicate with us individually and as a corporate family. But we need every heart present and engaged, expecting him to speak expecting him to move, expecting him to answer our prayers together, expecting him to come to revitalize his church, expecting his promises to be fulfilled before our eyes. Say engage. And so I want us to do something. And Rich, I, you and I talked earlier. I didn't know what we were supposed to say today. And I got to tell you, when you gotta, you're supposed to be the preacher, it's a terrible feeling to just be empty as empty. But this has been on my heart. I have been disturbed by seeing what's been going on in the world. I said on Friday that COVID was a gift to the church. And some people asked me about that later. And there was some expression on people's faces. The terrible summer of insanity and rioting and violence was a gift to the church. And for American Christians, the last major election cycle was a gift to the church. And what are all of these things? Why are they a gift? Because God 
in his patient mercy, if we are seeing and hearing, allowed the layering together of all of these events to do one thing, expose where we're really at as the body of Christ. And I think what we found out was we were filled with free-floating anxiety. We had very little individual, personal, meaningful human relationship. Mostly our community is all the people that we talk to on Facebook who like us. All that attention may be making you feel like you're sort of famous, known, special. But let me tell you where your focus should be if we pay attention to the Bible. It should be attending to the interests of other saints. It should be in real human, organic connection and service and encouragement. So I want you to jump in here a minute, or Michael, if you have something. So Paul had, as you said, a unique personal connection to the church in Philippi. And he is in prison right now when he is writing this letter to them. And he's rehearsing. If you look at it in this short little letter, there is a myriad of real, vital human connections. He names person after person by name. And little brief bios around what's happening between them in their lives and how they are supporting one another and connecting the church to Paul who is in prison. And all of that comes together in a revelation for victorious Christian living. And among the things that he says, Paul lets them know how important they are to him personally. How much their real joint that confidence, we have a covenant together, I will never leave you, you will never leave me. I'll be with you in your suffering, I'll be with you in your rejoicing. I know you, you know me. We are making this journey together until we see the Lord. And one of the first things Paul does is he lets them know that his present chains have not affected his sense of joy or victory or personal confidence that God will keep all of his promises. And that's one of the things about Paul. He is continually optimistic. The man who is literally stoned to death, beaten by mobs and imprisoned multiple times, taken as a slave, always, as he said, I've learned to be abound, I've learned to abase, I'm content in every state. Why? Because he had a revelation of who Jesus is. Now, you might say, well, Paul, you know, golly, he had that donkey day. You might be that way, too, if that had happened to you. You've heard me say this. And I first heard this said by N.T. Wright. Um, 
who studied Paul for 30 years. You want to get a chair? Get one of those stools. And then I'll... Um, N.T. Wright studied Paul for 30 years. And in that study, of course, he studied the different sects of the Pharisees and, and the, the uh, aspects of how they lived their lives and so on and so forth. And his conclusion, well, I found this fascinating because it puts a very interesting light on that story that we're all familiar with about Paul's encounter day. Much like Elisha's encounter day in a different way. But I want to say, like your encounter day. And it may not have been that dramatic. But the significance of the moment in which you believed, whether it came gradually, just, you know, automatically as a child and you were taken to church by a parent and you've always believed in Jesus, or you had some radical conversion, literally, from darkness to light, that moment, that season, when the Father put that revelation in your heart is the most valuable foundation you have, and you need to cherish it, defend it, and build upon it. Say cherish, defend, and build on it. Say build on it. So when Jesus said, I will build my church, he was talking about the work of the Holy Spirit that was coming to raise up a living body. In the earth, that be, would be coming together as light and bread for a dark and famished world in every generation until Jesus comes. And we need to shake off our slumber because it's time to engage. So Paul, the first thing he says is he lets them know how absolutely vital their human connections are. And how grateful and rejoicing and confident in spite of his suffering, he is because of those connections personally. And then secondly, he wants them to know that he doesn't have any fear of mortal death. That it's one of the reasons that while he's in literal physical chains of iron in a dungeon somewhere, he is absolutely and utterly free and living and connected because he knows he has eternal life and that's the first thing that left the world and the church susceptible to a strange unfolding that has brought us to a place where there appears there is still a mass in the world who is under hypnosis Afraid of one another, wearing coverings over our faces that have been specifically shown to have no actual effect as we were told they would have if we did this thing. It's strange, people. You have to read Revelation 6 and 7 and say, man, dude. We're living in these very kinds of times. Suddenly there's an opening and this thing comes on the world and the whole world is going after it in a particular way and we're kind of going, what just happened? Fifteen days to flatten the curve was supposedly to keep our hospitals from overflowing. 
and they ended up keeping people who needed cancer treatment, heart surgery, all kinds of other stuff, of keeping them out of the hospital and letting them go the way of whatever, you know, illness or fatality because of the possibility of overlay. The church is the ground and pillar of the truth. And there are certain basic fundamentals that Jesus has given us as how we live our lives. And we need to be sure that we are living our lives in that way. And we need to encourage one another daily to do so. So he lets them know he's not afraid of mortal death. He says, being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith. That your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my being freed from these chains, by your prayers, by your support, by your ongoing intercession for me. And it's going to work. And I'm going to be free. And I'm going to come to you again. And we're going to rejoice and say, look what the Lord has done. Yes, Michael, prayer works. Then he says, But let your conduct be worthy of the gospel which has been given you. So I think we need to ask ourselves, what's worthy of this eternal truth that we have? To have an overriding sense of control through fear That we stay away from people. Is that conduct worthy of the gospel? And I want to suggest to you staying connected through social media is not enough. I think there's a false idolatry. Sorry to say it. I'm just going to tell you. I think there's a false idolatry of self-worship that is behind the addiction to social media. Enough already. Get off of your stupid Facebook and go see what the neighbor needs. I hope the Lord asks you the next time you open your Facebook page and find yourself six hours later still responding to people and this and that and something else. I hope he asks you, is this conduct worthy of the gospel? Let your conduct be worthy of the gospel, the good news of Christ. So that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast. Say stand fast. Let's all stand up together. This means immovable. Standing uprightly and immovable. Say, stand fast. Turn around and look at your friends, your neighbors. These are people that you are joined to for eternity. We will be doing exploits that no one has been able to imagine yet for all of eternity. And we'll be doing them and knowing one another together. Together. But we have been given the spirit to be Not only experiencing, but being an example of these things in this life now. And by that mutual encouragement and strengthening, 
of being a light to those who have not yet got the revelation that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Let your conduct be worthy. Stand fast in one spirit. Say one spirit. We don't have to talk about the deep divisions that took root and were revealed through the terrible, riotous summer and beyond. And you've heard me say it again. The Black Lives Matter movement was an inspiration from the pit of hell and perversion. And it has taken captive many it's a false gospel, and it's evil in and of itself that through that movement, rioting and violence against one another was justified as being something morally acceptable. No! And always we must look at the root of something. And the founders of that movement are all, number one, perverts according to the gospel. Denying the very creation and image of God sexually and humanly. And in addition to that, committed ideologues to Marxism. Marxism is the ultimate and utter anti-God, anti-gospel ideology. So that's two major strikes against why any Christian, black, white, yellow, purple, should have any allegiance to a movement like that. It's not about police brutality. It wasn't. It was a deception and a sham. And unfortunately, once again, African American, I'll tell you what, I don't know. I, I think I would, I would be a dangerous revolutionary if, if I were black. I cannot abide the bondage that has continued to take away the spiritual and eternal inheritance of whole people because of the color of their skin. Enough already. And what is the one community, what is the one place where there is one truth, where that liberation potentially really exists. It's the church, no other place. Stand fast in one spirit. We need to shake off the spirit of division. And I'm not talking about adopting an idolatrous perversion called inclusion. The whole diversity, equity, inclusion is a sham for accepting the lifestyles and ideologies of the women like the founders of the Black Lives Matter movement. Come on. And if it wasn't bad enough that they're all committed to homosexuality and transgenderism and to Marxist anti-God ideology, then they're practicing witches, some of them. And I shared with you a year and a half ago 
about the blatant practice of satanic worship of idols, an ancient African religion, to which the whole movement and all of those demonstrations and those memorials that they built in city centers where people were slain were all devoted in their demonic prayers to those demonic powers specifically. Good gravy. Church. Church. It's time to come together. It's time to wake up. It's time to shake off. It's time to stand fast in one spirit and one mind in conduct that is worthy of the gospel. So that's why we gather for the continual upbuilding of one another and the fulfillment of the mission for the church and the earth. With one mind, say one mind. Striving together, say striving. Together for the faith of the gospel and not in any way terrified by your adversaries. Can we say that again? Not in any way terrified by your adversaries. And let me tell you, the whole world and all of its systems and all of its ideologies will be against you. Because you know the truth. You are the natural enemy to everything that is false and dark and dead and thievery. You are the, Jesus made you that when you had your donkey day. No matter how undramatic it might have been. Sorry, rabbit chase. What just happened, Rich? I came in, I said, Rich, I have no idea. Zero. I've been seeking, I'm just, it's on empty. There is nothing. So I said, I want you to, you know, what are you going to preach on today? I literally, that's who we were over there. You thought we were like conversing on, you know, the wise strategy. I was like, rich, dude. What does God want us to hear? I mean, he's standing here. Is he saying anything to you? What are you hearing? I believe this is the word of the Lord for us. I believe this is the word of the Lord for us. And we are going to respond. Say one mind. One mind. Striving together. For the faith of the gospel. And not in any way terrified by your adversaries. Check this out. Which is to them the proof of perdition. But to you, this adversarial dynamic coming against you is the proof of your salvation. Derek taught us that theology. I mean, Mahesh and I were raised in this idea that the more you're opposed, the more you're on the right track. And people couldn't figure it out. It's why, you know, our first son, Ben, was born. I lived in the hospital with him for six months. He was supposed to die every day and blah, 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 blah. And it was a, in, in one way, it was a terrible time. But the thing that happened is our church family came together around us, literally got engaged in prayer and fasting and breakthrough and intercession for us. 
And we saw miracle after incremental miracle until our son was released. And they still said, you know, he's going to be dead by the time he's 10. Well, guess what? He's 40 years old. He's fine. The church came together. And I remember my experience as a mama. I felt so burdened with carrying my child's deliverance and breakthrough. And living in the hospital in Miami when our home was in Fort Lauderdale and blah, 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 blah. And at a certain point, I realized the real power of the prayers for me daily that my church was surrounding me with. And I was able to let go of personally carrying the intercession for breakthrough for my son and let the church carry that burden. And as all I had to do was keep myself joyful to hold that little baby and sing over him. But you know, one of the things that I discovered during that time, being shut in the ICU with other mothers who ba whose baby were in crisis, who did not know Jesus and did not know Jesus the way I did, that I had become so insulated in my own personal Jesus life that I had lost the ability to meaningful, meaningfully converse with people that did not know the Lord. I was so ashamed of that. And I said, Lord, if there's one thing I can take away from this, I tell you, if you'll give me grace, I never want to find myself in that situation again where I have forgotten that I have a calling to engage with people and I need to attend to it. For you, it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, say granted, it's a gift. We've been given something. What is it? That we believe in Jesus. This is not a minor thing. We have this gift. Granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. You've been given a gift. It has two demonstrations. The first one is your faith in knowing who he is. The second is to bear that belief in the face of every, every adversary trying to steal it from you, suppress you, shut you in, cut you off, cut you out. And in any other way, bear any kind of persecution. And I have seen one of the real dangers of both this political sham movement that took over, where it was okay for thousands of people to shout and march through the streets together. But when they weren't shouting and marching through the streets and tearing things down, and all the people who didn't join them were supposed to be isolated at home. I mean, we have been taken for a ride by people who are without light. 
hear you. I said this before. Is it rational for us to be following the whims of a bunch of 80-year-old people who are a political oligarchy running our institutions, many of them bureaucrats, never elected to anything, that we're paying, and they're making plans to control our life and our children's future, future finances, future uh, societal regime, and all of that kind of stuff, and they won't even be around to suffer what they're putting in place. It's time to stand up, stand fast, in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, not in any way terrified by our adversaries. And then lastly, he says, in having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here is in me. So what is it? They're sharing in the suffering from the adversaries in the world that are set against them. And in America, Christians, the greatest degree of suffering is having people make fun of us. Give me a break. There are still people dying and in prison because they are standing fast and striving for this faith. So, All Nations Church, it's time to shake off and take up our calling. Therefore, if there's any consolation in Christ, any comfort of love, fellowship of the Spirit, affection and mercy, fulfill my joy being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. And let each of you, I want you to look around this room. Keep looking while I read you what it says. Let each of you, nobody is left out of this. You're in this. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Hallelujah. So, I want every person present today who for whatever the reason is, you have identified this place as your place to come and meet with the Lord. I want you to leave your seat right now and go across this room to someone you have not met and you do not know. I want you to go and do it now and introduce yourself and share briefly and then we're going to pray for one another, every person, to someone you haven't met, you don't know their name, you don't know their family members, you don't know their situation. 
We are members of one another. These are our eternal relationships. These are gifts. And each one, as you look in the face of that person, recognize the third person of the Godhead also lives in that vessel. So you automatically have a communion and a communication because you share the same Holy Spirit. So take a little break for a moment. Let me have your attention again. So let me have your attention again. Make the interests of fellow believers of more importance than your own personal interests. Let's just try it for a week. To aggressively every day. Now, many of you have been coming to church together with a person you never talked to before. Do something this week and follow up on that conversation, on that introduction of yourself. Do something. Some kind of personal contact. Something. Where you show yourself to be more interested in what concerns them than what concerns you for your own sake. Okay? This is not rocket science, but believe it or not, the Bible says this is an aspect of striving together against our adversaries for the faith, the gift we've been given. Number two, engage. Say engage. engage. How to share the gospel. Rich? Yeah, it's... Um, I've been in this for 30 years, so... The Lord zapped me as a godless, anti-God teenager when I was about 17. But in sharing the Lord with others, I want to encourage you that the Lord is very supernatural, but he's also very practical. And the Lord wants us unreligious. He wants us free of legalism and religiosity. He wants us to... You know, the closer we get to the Lord, the more he restores us, the more human we become. The most supernatural people I meet, they're the most normal. You could be talking about the, the weather one minute, and next minute the glory's come, and the Spirit of God's just breaking out, because it's so natural. And in my time, 
I've worked in some very godless places. And when I've started those jobs, I'm not going in there with a, a Jesus loves you t-shirt and turn and burn t-shirt on. I'm going in as a normal human. I dress normal. I talk normal. Well, I don't know if I talk very normally, but I want to encourage you to be supernaturally, naturally supernatural. And it comes out of the corporate gathering, which is so important, where we come together and we talk about getting filled with the Spirit and getting anointed and the glory and all these wonderful things. But we're here for what? Even if we do two meetings a week, we're here for what? Six hours maximum? Ask the Lord for divine appointments. And then chill out about it. And just be natural, be normal. May the Lord fill us afresh this morning with his words. Jesus said that there's a link between being filled with the Spirit without limit and speaking the words of God. Jesus talks about it in John chapter 3. And I'm not talking about being ungodly and worldly, but just it's okay just to connect to people on normal earthly things in some way. My favorite question is when someone says, well, why did you come to America? We moved house recently, and before we closed, we went to the house for the first time. Well, I did. And the neighbor is out on, on his porch, and we immediately got talking. He could tell we were buying the house and got talking with him. He said, why did you come to America? We only met for two minutes. I said, well, I came to study theology and ministry at a local church. And immediately he's like, oh, this person is a Christian. Or so. Immediately there's a connection there and we talk for a little bit and we meet regularly out in the garden now. He knows who I am. But I will encourage you to be naturally supernatural. When Jesus met the woman at the well, this was God in the flesh, but he was normal in one sense. And she just said, give me a drink. So I want to encourage, and get, you know, get a fresh revelation of the love of the Lord for you and for others. I was in a meeting in April of 1995, and I felt like the, the, the Spirit of God was the strongest manifest presence I've ever experienced of the Holy Spirit in 30 years. And I felt the Lord put his arm around me. I, I was crying tears, the deepest. I felt the Lord had gone right into the, my innermost being with how loving he is. And we can't love others until we know how much he loves us first. And people might be a mess, but get the love of the Lord for them. Don't think you've got to notch up numbers on your belt of how many people you share the Lord with. Just be naturally supernatural. Come out of the corporate place. Go into your spheres of influence. Love people. Listen. Be great listeners. Practical. James said, be quick to, slow to speak, quick to listen. I've met all our neighbors, close neighbors, in the last six weeks, and I've made a point to the minute they share their name with me that I will remember their name. I want, I want them to feel valued. And when, when someone gives you a name, try your best. And I will say, look, sometimes I'm going to have to ask two or three times. But I want to make a point to remember their name. So when I meet them for the second time, hey, John, how you doing? Let's be great listeners. We talk too much. 
James Ray said, be slow to speak, quick to hear. Let's listen. And at every opportunity, when that opportunity comes out, we're sharing the Lord. We're sharing our testimony. We're sharing what we believe. We're given a reason for the hope that is within us. But I want to encourage you to rest. I want to encourage you to pray for divine appointments and believe God to give them. You bump into people out the blue. You share your testimony. You share the Lord. You get the name of Jesus out there. You preach Jesus Christ and him crucified. Be normal. Be unreligious. Be unlegalistic. Paul wrote, look, God gives us grace. One man sows, another man reaps. God gives me grace to sow and water seeds. Someone else comes in. God grows and gives the increase. I've shared the Lord with thousands of people, publicly and one-on-one. I've seen very little what I would say overt fruit, but I don't care. It'll be measured in attorney, not now. And I went to work for this real estate company, very aggressive. This is in England. Really aggressive, godless environment. And... After about a month or so, it came out that I was a church goer. If someone asked me, what did you do at the weekend? I think I'd say something like, yeah, I went to church, watched the football, whatever. It was very natural and something that, that in England, if you say you attend a local church, that is unusual. Not in this part of America. It's very cultural, not in England. And over time, you know, for this guy doesn't gossip. He doesn't use bad language. He, you know, he's, I was different, very different. But we had a lot of fun, sense of humor. I have a sense of humor. I'm not talking about godless humor. But we can have a sense of humor. We can just connect with people in a normal way. You know, I get the, I get the double, and I can stab them with the gospel when the opportunity opens up. But I've shared the Lord with many over the years. So I want to pray just a fresh anointing. May the Spirit of the Lord come this morning. And just... Divine appointments break out all over this place. And just share the Lord. You might start talking about the Super Bowl. But suddenly you're into a relationship with the, about talking about the Lord. Because you're filled with the Spirit. You're filled with the words of God. Maybe be shrewd as serpents, innocent as doves. Jesus said it. Maybe walk and talk wise in all our ways. David says he walked and talked wise in all his ways. May we be full of grace and truth. We don't want to be weird. We're different. But we, 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 the Lord is restoring us to being what humans are called to be. He had the angels. He wanted something different. He put flesh and blood. He put a soul and a spirit and a body together and created a human. The Lord is restoring our humanness. Satan dehumanizes people. The Lord restores our humanness. And I, I've got a share a word. I have a word for the lady there in the, the purple dress and the, the white cardigan. What's your name, ma'am? What's your name? Amy. I see the Lord taking you on a vacation. It's an interesting word. I see the Lord taking you on a vacation. I see you packing your suitcases, packing your bags. But it's a one-way ticket. It's not a return ticket. And I feel the Lord knows you by name, is taking you by hand 
on a journey, on a vacation, and it's a good vacation. It's a restful and a restoring vacation. I see a door, and on the door, it says, seek first my kingdom and my righteousness. I just feel this is a door the Lord has put before you. And as you open that door and go on that journey, I see the Lord putting everything in order. Anything that's broken is being repaired. Anything that is out of order, the Lord is putting in order. Anything that is not aligned, the Lord is aligning. But I see a very specific invite from the Lord for you to seek first my kingdom and my righteousness. Come on this vacation. Come on this journey. But it is a one-way ticket. I feel the Lord is saying, come on this journey. There is no return. So blessings, blessings, blessings on you. Now, well, I do, I do have a couple of things. Um, I, I do believe that this word that we heard today is truly from the Lord. I, I don't know if you acknowledge it, but it really is. And it's, in many cases, it says, you know, open your mouth and I will fill it, says the Lord. Any place that is empty. But what we heard today was the true word of the Lord. And I want to encourage you to take it now on a practical level in your life. And I want you to operate the decisions that you make, those of you watching online, those of you here, and take practically the decisions that you make. And I'm doing this for me. I'm doing this for me, my family, for us. And literally filter it through the lens of the Holy Spirit that is in that context of is that conduct worthy of the gospel? Is it truly at that place where myself, I, because much of the church in this day and age is centered around the, the gospel of the me and the gospel of the I. But the reality is Jesus calls us to die completely to ourselves. And I'm reminded today of um, Jesus references it as well, and I read it recently, where um, when, when in the Passover, we see the picture of the blood that's on the doorposts and the lentils. We see the angel of death uh, striking in judgment Pharaoh and his people. But in Goshen, there was light, and in that context, God still calls his people to take out the leaven from their homes. And Jesus references that in his ministry of the Holy Spirit going through and taking out the leaven from the homes. And I'm just thinking that from a practical, I'm talking about today from a practical perspective, okay? It's, it, you can, whatever you can use it for whatever, I'm not even going to reference anything specifically. But the reality of the gospel is if we can take that opportunity to let the Holy Spirit shine through and show out any leaven that He can cleanse out and restore, and in that context, actually operating from that place of, okay, what's happening in the environment around me? Becoming more sense of these things. Actually opening our eyes to the reality that is around us and seeing 
where the needs are. How can, who do I need to call right now? What do I know is going on? And literally t- doing the hard things, doing the difficult things that literally empty us of ourselves. And I believe we're going to see an overflow of not only a return of that investment, like you talked about, the seeds that we plant, but literally the arising of the Spirit of God to break these yokes of darkness right now. Right now. And it's through you taking a step. And as I look through every person, I mean, every single one of you, between your walk with God and between the anointing and giftings and callings the Lord has placed on your life, every single one of you that follow the Lord and people that listen to the sound of my voice right now, There is no excuse, honestly. You have the ability to break chains, to release light in darkness, and to be a light of the gospel in every season and every turn in your life to other people. And I'm just serious. Like, no excuses. No excuses for me. No excuses for all of us. And this is a practical word. And so I encourage you to do that and um, to be anointed with fresh oil today. And I, you know, submit maybe we have a time where we can kind of anoint you with oil, maybe in the service in, here in a moment. But I, I'm saying just be anointed with the fresh oil to do it right now. Amen. Yeah. Say be anointed with fresh oil. Rich? The other thing I wanted, I just real brief, and may the Lord confirm and God is into truth and teach us. I have a very, I, this is not an easy word, but I have a strong sense for Western Christians that it is not going to get easier for Western Christians. I'm just shooting you straight. And I feel the need, and I, in my own life, this is a very foundational word today, really make that daily decision to choose and serve the Lord. I am not saying this to install fear. I am not saying this to install discouragement. You can test and weigh what I say and may the Lord guide us into truth. But I just have a strong sense for Western Christians that it is not going to get easier for Western Christians. I just feel it. And we need to be putting our anchors down and our Getting our foundations real strong. Because the Lord said, if you build your house on the rock, when the storms and the winds and the whatever come, you won't go crashing. But I just have a strong sense of that. So I'll leave that with us. So I, while Rich was speaking, I, I, I got this brilliant idea, this really simple strategy about... Uh, anointing us, equipping us to share the gospel. If you give us all language lessons where we all develop a really, really good English accent, (laughs) then the door will automatically be opened for us with anybody that we talk to. And they'll ask us something about, what are you doing? And you can tell them, I have a friend who is a radical Christian that's always sharing Jesus with people, and one of his keys is his English accent. So I asked him to teach me how to speak with an English accent so I could share the gospel with you. 
What do you think about my plan? <laughs> Armin. You sure? Come on. What do you got to say? The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our God. And he shall reign forever and ever. I just wanted to be part of the pillar and ground of truth. find the best way to combat fear is to laugh. So we started watching Christian comedy so we would laugh all the time. And we don't want to be afraid. And we've become more sensitive to atmospheres when we walk into places. And take the time. I'm a mom of three. <laughs> take the time to not be in a rush. When I go into a grocery store, I have to be intentional to not try to race through the store to get the things I need so I can get home and I can do more, more stuff. I need to be intentional to open my eyes to the divine appointments that are there. I need to be intentional to show my children how to take the time to see someone and let the Spirit of the Lord speak through me to them to change their day or to see a need that they have and meet it as best that I can or as the Spirit tells me. You know, the last thing Mary said was, whatever he tells you to do, do it. That's right. I want to live my life. It says in Psalms, I want to live my life so close to him that he takes pleasure that's my life. God, I want to live so close to you that you take pleasure in me, in my every prayer, oh God. Let me be intentional to hear you. Only do what the Father is doing. Only say what he's saying. And I've been challenged in this past season to watch everything I say because your words have so much power. So be intentional to speak life everywhere you can and take the time to listen it says in Isaiah that he has given you a listening ear. So I stopped praying, God, give me a listening ear. It says, I have given you a listening, you, an, a listening ear. I awaken you morning by morning. I have given you a word for the weary. I have put it in your mouth. Yes, I don't have to come up with it. He gives it to me morning by morning. So we laugh. We take the time. He's given us a listening ear to speak a word to the weary, and our world is so weary right now. So be encouraged. He's given it to you already. Just be willing to open your mouth. Praise the Lord. I think, let's just stand up for a, for a minute. And... Um, I think it's just just digest this word this week. Digest what the Lord has been saying. Um, the Lord has been telling us about the importance of Scripture for the last few months. New Year's Eve watch, engaging with the Word. I, I just feel to get back to being built on the Scriptures is 
just an absolute essential foundation right now. And we are going to make a little bit of space here. Just make an order call, anyone that wants to respond specifically to this morning or any need. If we can just have the healing, our trained and seasoned healing team can come out, please. And and just be on our guard. You know, the enemy... Jesus talked about the word sowing into different types of hearts and the enemy can steal the word. We get back out and we've got families and lives and lunch and work and bills and all that stuff and suddenly we, it, the word can be stolen or we can forget. But let's just try and meditate on this word from this morning and it will bear fruit. So,